Man, I love music, don't you? Golly. I, I, you've heard me say this before, but sometimes I just stop and think what life would be without these gifts, like food. God didn't have to make us where we had to eat, or God could have made just potatoes. That would have been boring. We probably would have come up with a variety of potatoes, like au gratin, but if there weren't cheese, we wouldn't. It would just be like, what do you have? we wouldn't even ask, hey, what are you having for lunch? We'd have potatoes. Uh, you know, you'd go to a restaurant, there would be no need for a menu, it would just be potatoes, right? But God, in his ingenious creativity, allowed us to have things like flavors and scents and, and uh, colors and art and music and what an incredible God. Golly, golly, can't wait to see what heaven looks like. Think about that for a second, you know? And uh, all the little pictures we have in our mind, like harps and all that, please. <laughs> God is greater than that. I have a good friend who's a harpist. I, I, I've told her, I'm like, hey, you know that um, you're not going to stop working when you get to heaven. As I, I guess some people believe you're going to just keep playing the harp, but <laughs> I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be at least an electric guitar somewhere in there, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Music, <clears throat> the incredible thing about music is that it lingers. And I guess many things are that way. You see a film, it lingers in your mind. You, you, you have a, a nice dinner, and it, it, you, it lingers as you're driving home. You know, it just kind of, it's still there. If you eat McDonald's, you know, the smell lingers in your, uh, you know. Have you ever left a bag of McDonald's in your car? I'm like, wow, man. Just think about the inside of your body, what it's doing. I know it's crazy, but it's probably lingering in your body for seven years. I don't know. But music is that way. It has a, has, has a way that even when you, if, you just, if I just stop for a second, that song that we just heard is kind of still there. Do you feel it? Do you sense it? God's created us in a way that the soundtrack keeps on going, and, and we're in this collection about that, to, about soundtracks, because I believe that we cannot see all the soundtracks that are playing at this moment. In fact, this collection is about seven soundtracks that are playing in the spiritual dimension that we can't see. Some people may say, really, you think there's a spiritual dimension? Oh, I know there is. How do I know there is? Don't you know that we're just not made up of flesh and blood? Don't you, don't you sense that there's something beyond. See, God said that he put in us, he put in our DNA, he instilled in us a sense of eternity so that we have this, this uh, understanding, this yearning for something beyond this. That's why we're here today. We're not here to see a show. We're not here to just to feel good. We're here because we know that God is real and the spiritual dimension is real. Our job is to become aware of those things in the spiritual dimension. That's why we're doing this collection. Some of those things are, are uh, obvious. Some are less obvious. Even in life, there, there are those things in our, in our world that we're, we're very aware of. You're very aware you're sitting in a, in, a, in a chair. You're very aware of what you're wearing today. You're very aware of what car you drove and all that stuff. But there are things that are happening around you that, that, are, um, that you're unaware of. For example, did you know the guy behind you is picking your pocket right now? He, you, know, you may not know it. There are things in life that, that we're just not aware of. 
I worked in a very large church in the Midwest for a number of years. And the guy that had Clay's position, the worship, worship pastor, he was, uh, had this kind of weird, sick sense of humor. And um, so he did a lot of funerals, a lot of weddings. He had a beautiful voice and all that. And so he would, he would try to get people to come with him because he didn't want to be at a funeral alone. So he would always invite one of the staff, hey, can you go to a funeral? We were always turning him down. But finally, one day, he talked me into going to a funeral with him. His name was Dave. And I said, okay, Dave, I'll go to the funeral with you and, and uh, if there's a deal. Are you going to take me to lunch afterwards? Yeah, I'll take you to lunch. I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'll go to the funeral. And so this funeral home, was, it was a little strange in the way it was set up. Um, at the back of the people, there was a balcony. And on that balcony, that the organ was there and the soloist sang, the singer sang from the balcony. So the people sitting here were very unaware of what was going on up in the uh, balcony. Are you with me? You see the scenario? So I'm sitting up in the balcony with my friend Dave and, uh, you know, I'm looking over top of the back of the people who are looking the other way. And the organist is there, and, man, she is um, she's, uh, robust. Um, I mean, she was, like, big, you know, big-boned and just looked like she could play linebacker for the, the Green Bay Packers. I mean, she was a... And um, so they had finished their first songs, and, you know, he had sang. And then, and then up in the balcony, there were these two sofas, and they were facing each other about this close. And so me and Dave were on the sofa, and then sitting across from us was this organist. And to make things worse, because I could feel things heading south. Have you ever been there? You know, you're like, don't even look at me because I'm going to start giggling that moment, you know. <laughs> to make things worse, she was making a rug. A rug, yes. And you know how those plastic little weavy things, I don't even know what they're called, but, you know, so she had this yarn and she's pulling it, you know, so I'm like, am I dreaming? Am I sitting in a balcony at a funeral where people can't see me and across from this lady who's making, and to make it worse, the rug was a large carrot. (laughs) I mean, it was like this orange carrot. So already I'm in this mode of like, don't look at Dave because it could go south. Well, Dave leans over to me and uh, says to me, hey, man, I'm going to go to the restroom. I'll be right back. I'm like, no problem. So now I'm in this awkward scenario, funeral going on, me and the linebacker, carrot rug, sitting here. Mm -hmm, You know, that moment, right? And Dave goes into the restroom and uh, he comes back and he's walking behind the lady making the rug so that she's unaware of what he's doing. And when he comes out of the bathroom, (laughs) he intentionally had put something, a piece of toilet paper hanging out the back of his pants like that, just to see if he could get me, you know? So he walks by, he's behind the couch, you know, the lady kind of, she doesn't even know what he's doing. I'm like, dude, there's a funeral going on here. And so, you know, I'm sitting there kind of like this, like, (laughs) you know, it's like that you start laughing and you got to fake a cough, like, and then it just gets worse where your shoulders are going up and down, like, so then you're scratched, you know, to fake anything out. I'm like, this lady has no idea. Now he's like, you know, doing this kind of stuff behind her, you know, doing the cha-cha and, you know, doing a little bit of stage. I'm like, okay, you know what? Number one. 
I will never go to another funeral with you again, Dave. (laughs) Number two, the next funeral I will go to, you got it, will be yours. (laughs) Sometimes there are things right behind us that are happening that we're unaware of. And some of these things are funny. Some of them are beautiful. Some of them are dangerous. There are things that happen that we're unaware of that if we knew it, we would change. I brought you a few pictures. How about this guy, Gearhart? If you're diving down there in the, uh, the old gulf, what happens if you see that bad boy behind you? <laughs> unaware of other wildlife behind you. Uh, here's another guy. I checked this surfer out. See in the circle? See that white thing? Great white shark. Although the guy in this board looks like he's turning a little pale and looking right at it. And finally, if you're into photography, here's one for you. How about that? Okay. I think I'll get a shot of that bird over there. You see, last week we started this off. We kicked off by saying there is a worship service, as I indicated to you earlier, that's going on right now. The book of Revelation says it never stops. John saw this and experienced this worship service as he was transported into the future, as you'll remember, which is already happening. Mind-blowing. And see, God, and when John saw this, he said, I'm telling you, beyond what I can explain to you, Paul said, what I heard, the soundtrack that I heard was inexpressible. I'm not even permitted to describe what I heard. See, those are beautiful things. But there is something happening behind the scenes in this spiritual dimension that is dangerous. It is critical for us to tune into this soundtrack that is playing all the time because this collection of conversations that we're having are about the things that never stop. You see, that worship service never stops. And what we talk about today is the warfare the spiritual warfare that's happening behind the curtain between physical and spiritual that we cannot see, it never, ever stops. You see, we're told in the scripture that we have uh, something happens to us when we become a Christian. We love the Hallmark card version of Christianity. I know it. I'm a, I'm a human being like you are. I like things soft and cuddly and nice and warm and pale blue. And some things in life are that way. But God did not just create potatoes and neither did he create one color of our faith. You see, the Lord is our shepherd. But the Lord is our shepherd because there are wolves that the shepherd has to guard against. That's a different color than just the pale blueness of the Lord is my shepherd. So when we come to Christ, we gain heaven. We gain an inheritance. We gain a sonship. We gain this uh, uh, amazing uh, 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 miracle of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. I could go on and on of all the amazing things that we inherit. But what we have to be aware of is that we have exchanged something critical in 
when we become a Christian. We find it in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. For you, that's us who are Christians, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, we have a very real adversary. And I will promise you that the adversary is not happy at all about this exchange. That you have gone from darkness, his kingdom, to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. You may say, are you sure you believe this? I am absolutely sure I believe this. One of the things for me, as I wrestled in my early 20s, as determining whether or not God was real, was the struggle between good and evil. And the more I looked at it, even as a young adult, the more I looked at it, I'm like, wow, I even in myself recognize this struggle between the tension between good and evil. But then I read the headlines of every newspaper of every single day of every year of every decade. And it's impossible for us to miss that humans have a struggle between good and evil no matter how you slice it, no matter what your religious preference is, no matter what it is, you can see that there is a tension between good and evil. When you become a Christian, it would be wonderful to say, whoo, I'm free of that tension. When I first became a Christian, in fact, I was in a church that believed that the Spirit of God could do something in you where you would no longer, where the sinful part of us would be eradicated. That means taken away. Now, I knew the good news of Jesus, but that was better than good news because I'm thinking, wow, that would be incredible. And I tried it. After the first five minutes, it didn't go well. After the first week, After the first year, I was trying, like, man, I want that power to no longer wrestle with sin. Wouldn't you like that? But Paul was honest enough with us, the Apostle Paul, honest enough with us to wrestle out loud, thank God, and to say, why, why, why do I do the things I don't want to do, and why don't I do the things I do want to do? Who will save me from this old body of death? Thanks be to God that Christ does what we cannot. Now get out of here and have a great week. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We could end there, could we not? This battle that we face requires something of us. When we read these passages, there's something that comes out. Now, we could talk a lot about the spiritual battle, many facets of it, etc., but I want to keep it simple and focus on one element as it pertains to the soundtrack. Keep in mind the battle, the warfare, the tension never stops. First Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
looking for someone to bother. I meant looking for someone to fret. I meant looking for someone to tempt. No, looking for someone to devour. Um, In an interesting moment, we catch a snapshot of the enemy, Satan, presenting himself before God in the second chapter of the book of Job in verse 2. And when Satan came to to God, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Not the pit of hell, by the way, but Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. So if we could agree that our enemy, the adversary and his armies roam this world that looking for those to devour, that it's unending, it's relentless, his siege upon the church, upon those who believe, upon keeping those who are in darkness in darkness. If we believe that it's consistent, there is one thing that I would propose to you that we will need to have, critical that we have in order to win this battle. See, we can't do it on our own. The, The Bible says clearly, be strong in the Lord. We're not, we can't fight it. But one thing that we can have and we must have is this, vigilance, vigilance. You see, when there's something that's happening all the time, you can't let up, i.e., texting while driving. You see, the road never stops coming. That's why you can't say, hey, Mary, how's it going? Because the road is coming. Don't text. You've seen it. Honk if you love Jesus. Text if you want to meet him today. I mean, you, you've seen those bumper stickers. And don't read bumper stickers either when you're driving. <laughs> Why? There's nothing wrong with sitting in a car while texting. There is everything wrong with because the consistency of the road keeps coming. You can't even have one second where you're not vigilant. That's how accidents happen, right? And that's how casualties happen in the warfare. Not by your strength, but by your vigilance, by your awareness that the soundtrack is on constant replay. Now, last week and every week, I'm going to ask you to imagine with me stepping into the spiritual realm for 45 seconds. Last week, we stepped into the spiritual realm for 45 seconds and imagine what it might have been like to have been Paul in heaven for that short glimpse of time and then step out. And then a guy like that says, for me to die is gain. Of course it is. You've been there. What if we could step in to the kingdom of darkness? And I know it's heavy. The kingdom of darkness and overhear the soundtrack of our enemy. Now, I don't know what song it is, but that's where our imagination comes. Is there really a soundtrack going? I believe there is. You see, Lucifer was a musician. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Our musicians are right here. (laughs) Lucifer was a... So I believe, like every enemy that exists in our world, music played a great part. So imagine with me. 
that if we could step into the realm of darkness, what if the soundtrack sounded something like this? change anything for you? I mean, see, if I stepped into that just for like, and you heard that and experienced and saw the reality of those forces that are against us, I'm telling you, you'd step back and think, hey guys, I just saw something. And you're like, hey Steve, you look like you're sweating a lot and you're pale, the sheet. Oh yeah, I'm telling you, I have no idea what I just saw. Wouldn't it be like that? I mean, is that overacting? Okay, someone said yes. Get out. All right. Why is it that when we drive past an accident that's horrible on the road, we drive like that for the next 15 minutes? That's the way we are as humans. We need sometimes to have that. Whoa! Okay, vigilance, 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 wake up. But let me say this. Before we spend too much time in darkness, let me remind us that we are already on the winning side. Now, I know that jazzes us. And I know Christians only go, amen, that's right. But we have to act like it. Live like it. And what I mean by that is not some boastful like, yeah, I'm on the winning side and have a Christian t-shirt. What it means is that we're vigilant of this soundtrack. But we live with all the passion we have because we are on the winning side. I have found too many Christians when it comes to spiritual warfare trying to find a demon under every rock. It's And, and we end up focusing more time on demons than we do deity, the, uh, the Christ, the commander-in-chief. And God wants us to be vigilant of that, but our passion and our focus on Christ, the commander. There also is a soundtrack that I believe that God has for us. Many of you know I have uh, several degrees in music. And in my last degree, uh, you have to write a big paper, a dissertation at the end of that journey. And my dissertation was going to be, I switch gears, was going to be on music and warfare. It fascinates me. Because when you look at different wars around the world and the history of war, music, the soundtracks, played an incredible, critical role. You see, if we can hear the soundtrack, 
there's something in us that it affects. Take the Civil War. You know who was on the front line, right? The drummers and the fifes and sometimes even the violinist. Now, see, if I, if I were standing in there and, he, and, and they said, any musicians in the crowd? See, I've just changed professions. I'm, I'm, no, longer, I'm no longer a musician. I'm like, mm-mm, nope, I do not play, never could play a single lick. Drum, don't even know how to spell it. Uh, you know, but these guys were on the front lines. It was so important to them to hear, as those armies march forward. When, not if, but when someone shot the drummer, and they fell to the ground, somebody else picked up the drum, strapped it on, and kept playing. That's how important it was for them. Think about World War II and all the songs that were born out of that. Think about even the enemy forces like Hitler, who used music as a unifying force of the Nazi army. If you know classical music, Richard Wagner, that was his music. And he used it. And he, he believed that it was um, very uh, nationalistic and, and Germanic and all that. And, they, and it was just, they, they, he used that to say, this is our music, the Cultural Revolution of Chairman Mao. He discarded all and burned all the Western music, and they had their own national music. We can't underestimate the soundtrack of the call to war, neither can we underestimate that in the war that we face. Throughout the scriptures, as we heard Clay play the trumpet today, throughout the scriptures from beginning to end, there was a presence of music, a soundtrack that called the community of faith to war. Now this is where we park because I'm challenging the church at large, the local church even, even you individually, to lean in and hear that we have a call to war, to fight for a church that God has called us to be an army. We have to lean into this. In the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter nine, um, chapter 10, verse 9, God said this, when you go into battle into your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. And they had different blasts for different things, like the cavalry in, in the Civil War. They would they have a blast together. They'd have a trumpet blast that they understood was different to go to war. There was one for retreating. But there was a specific blast that when they heard this trumpet play, man, they were like, it's wartime right now. In Numbers chapter 31 and verse 3, Moses said to the people, Arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites and to carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Moses said them, sent them into battle, a thousand from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and trumpets from, for signaling. You see, we know of famous stories like Jericho and Joshua. He had the trumpets and the walls came a-tumbling down. But I believe that it is one of the primary jobs of leaders of God's church in this day to say, wake up. As much, I deeply love the church. Sometimes when I make rough comments about the church, it's because I love it. It can be misinterpreted that I am against the church. I give my life to lead the church of God. And because I love it, as a leader, I am called at times to say, wake up. 
because the church in the 21st century in the United States of America has grown soft to where we think it's all about love and joy and peace, and that's wonderful. The problem is it's not scriptural. It's not biblical. It is time for leaders to stop having TV shows, to say nice things that attract thousands of people, that, that whet our appetite and tickle our, our ears, and to say we are the army of God in this generation. No other. Every generation before us is gone. They're dead. They're in heaven. We're it. Let's start acting like God has called us to act. I know that's not too rough for you because I sense your hunger in wanting something different. If, if an alien came to planet Earth and said, describe the 21st century church to me, I would say, let me describe my church. We're tired of soft. I'm, I'm talking to people all the time who've come to 360. We're tired of soft. Take out the trumpets. Pick up the trumpets. And let's be what God has called us to be. You see, God has some severe words to say to those of us that are called pastors, by the way. We are held to a higher standard. That's really scary. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Ezekiel, the word came, the word of the Lord came to me in Ezekiel chapter 34. Son of man, God said, prophesy against the pastors of Israel, the shepherds of Israel. He goes on to say they're just thinking of themselves, how many people they can get in their church by saying nice things and letting everything they want to do. So they, oh, yeah, you want to do this? Sure, go ahead, just so we don't upset people. But here's the problem. The flocks were scattered because there was no shepherd doing his job, no leader doing his job. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. See, if we just stand up as leaders, your at group leaders, our vision team, our leadership board, the leaders that God has put over top of us, the youth leaders, if they just came and said, hey, let's make it easy, then we are vulnerable to the wild animals that you cannot see with your naked eye. We're vulnerable. This is serious. This battle is real. This battle is serious. And what happens is we drift from the herd of those who have come before us. I mean, the church, the army of God. And when we drift off, we become so vulnerable that the enemy says, man, I will attack you. I, I was recently watching the planet Earth. Did you ever see that series? And uh, it's amazing the instinct that God puts into the animal animal kingdom. Amazing. How they sense danger. They do a better job than we do. How they hear, how their radar. Have you ever seen a rabbit in your front yard eating a piece of grass, you know, with his legs crossed like this, kind of sitting back? Of course not. I mean, rabbits are like scaredy cats, you know? I don't know why we say scaredy cats, like scaredy rabbits. They're like scaredy rabbits. Like, you know, they're munching on their little piece of grass, but they're like, you know, all all the time looking around. Little nose going like this, you know, little ears. Because God has put them in an instinct in them to be vigilant. And they never let up. So I'm watching this planet Earth excerpt. And I'm amazed 
You're, and I'm going to show it to you. There's about three minutes excerpt. I'm amazed at not only the vigilance, you're going to see some impala, but the hunting dogs, these hyena-type animals, wicked-looking, scary-looking. And I want you to imagine, as you see this, the spiritual battle that we face as a church and as individuals, but as a church, that what happens when we, we have no shepherd, no leadership, and we just kind of do whatever we want to do and make it out what we want to make it. Look at the brilliance of the enemy forces, how they're synchronized. It's not easy. They're not taking this thing easy. Watch. Hunting dogs. among the rarest of Africa's mammals, but they're nonetheless the continent's most efficient predators. Their secret is teamwork. Impala are their favorite prey. They start to hunt and the pack splits up. An aerial viewpoint gives a new insight into their strategy. As the dogs approach their prey, they peel off to take up separate positions around their target. They seem to form a cordon around the impala. Moving in total silence, they take up their positions. Those ears can detect the slightest rustle. the hidden flankers. Anticipating their line, the leader cuts the corner and joins a flanker for the final assault. It's all or nothing, one on one. The dog has stamina, the impala has speed. I stopped it for the bad part. 
<laughs> you see it? I mean, how vivid is that? See, I think God gives us pictures. The enemy is not taking it as lightly as the church. So let me tell you why we work so hard at aligning as a team. Why we say we're not fooling around here. We're not just doing feel-good giveaways. We're about life change. We're about zeroing in on those who are running alone to move them from darkness into light, to maneuver, to tell them what needs to be told, to move as a church together, to be united. A little vision takeaway. See, we have to be vigilant to fight for what God called his church to be, a united force. Let me, let me end today with a story that I, I cannot get away from. It's unusual, just being honest with you. The story of Gideon. Every week, I keep coming back in my personal time and just digging deeper and deeper and deeper into this story. You may know the story. I've used it before. Gideon was unaware of who he was, as I believe sometimes the church is unaware that we are warriors. You see, God came to him in Judges chapter 6 and verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. I'm not a warrior. I'm telling you, most of the church will say, I'm not a warrior. I just signed up to go to heaven. I just signed up for the songs. I like the songs. And God says, you are a mighty warrior. I signed you up for that. And he says, I'm gonna, I want you to gather an army against the troops because Israel in that day was holed up. They were in caves. They were being just slaughtered by the enemy. They weren't who God had called them to be. There's so many parallels in this story. Gideon begins with an army of 32,000. You may know the story. God said, Gideon, I want you to go before them and say, any of you that are chicken, my version, any of you that are scared, go ahead and take, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer and during the prayer you can leave. Well, you know, we always got to pray or do something when we're moving, Christians, that's the way we are. So we're going to have a, we're going to have a moment here, we're going to let you leave. 22,000 left. Two-thirds, 60%. 10,000 were left. Now these are the courageous. As they saw 22,000 of their comrades leave, these were the courageous who said, no, I'm standing. I'm a warrior. But that wasn't enough in that day. Courage wasn't enough in this battle. So you know how, if you know the story, God led these 10,000 down to a water. It was time to take a break. And he separated them in Judges chapter 7 and verse 5. So Gideon took the men down to the water there the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lap with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got on their knees to drink. Let me give you a picture. 300 went like this. You know why? Vigilance. The others said, whoo, Mountain Dew, boom, and buried their face right into the lake unaware, non-vigilant, irvigilant, unvigilant. What's the word? Invigilant. 
Whatever, that'll get it. <laughs> Lost the sense of just like that, it can happen. Oh, let's just soften up as church. Just like that, it can happen. Let's just take a little bit of debt. Just like that, it can happen. Hey, let's just do nice things and throw cans of corn and frozen turkeys up the driveway. Just like that, it can happen. Because we can think that's ministry. It doesn't change lives. People change lives. God changes lives through us. We can never lose sight of that. And as a leader, on this watch, I may be stupid, a moron, and all those things, but I guarantee I commit to you of being vigilant to hold the bar high and to call you to vigilance. You see, courageous soldiers are worth nothing when they're not vigilant, no matter how courageous they are. Vigilance wins the day and won the day when we read this story. That's because in 1 Peter 5, 8, when we read that verse, the first words read like this, be self-controlled and alert, vigilant, because your enemy prowls. You see, here's what happens when I read this story. Now watch, don't miss this. The 9,700 that left, they dropped something on the ground before they left. Judges chapter 7, verse 8, Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, 9,700, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of others. See, God is calling you to warfare, not to fight it on your own. Make no mistake, you cannot. But he's calling you to carry a trumpet to have that soundtrack of the battle cry. Now just think for a second. Wonder what this, the, what it would sound like with these trumpets. You see, in a symphony, there's usually just two or three trumpets because trumpets are louder than fr- flutes. Not to offend any flute players in those. But they're loud. Gustav Mahler here we go. This is going to get boring. He was an Austrian composer. He wrote big things. Gustav Mahler was born around 18... No, just kidding. <laughs> he wrote these bombastic symphonies. And usually, like, a composer wants something louder, put two Fs, like fortissimo. Mahler put F, 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 five Fs. You're like, how do you do that? You, like, blow your brains out in the trumpet? What do you do? No, Mahler said, I'm going to have six trumpets. Can you imagine 60 trumpets filling up this area up here? Your ears couldn't handle it. How about 100? How about 150? How about 200 trumpets? How about 300 trumpets? Every man in Gideon's army had a trumpet. I wonder, just wondering, just imagining, if it would sound something like this. Charge! 
Can you feel it? You see, that is what God wants us to lean into. Do not forget, you're it. You're it. There is no other army coming. None. None. You're it. What do you think about playing church now? What do you think? Judges chapter 7, 22, we end with this. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men, the enemies throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Oh, yeah. That's what a united army can look like. But we have to be motivated. And we're motivated by the vigilance that's required to fight this warfare. Will you be a trumpet carrier? Will you carry a trumpet? Man, I only got so many years left of my runway. Give me a trumpet. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for reminding us that the battle, the adversary, never stops. God, the battle never stops. Help us, God, also to remember that we are it. Each generation has their chance to carry the trumpet. Those who are, are, have, are, that are dead and are gone before us, they no longer carry it. Those who have yet to come no longer carry it. Those who are young and young in the faith are not carrying it yet, are learning to carry it. We must carry it for you, God. I simply pray today, God, that you would awaken your church. That you would awaken us, God, to be vigilant, to march, to hear the soundtrack, and not to soften who you have called us to be. Help us, God, to be your church, your army, your soldiers, your trumpet carriers. God, awaken us. Lean our ears, our spiritual ears, into the soundtrack of your battle cry. Oh, God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.